Hello, lovelies. Welcome to Horror 421, the podcast, with your host, your friendly small-town horror author, Charles Campbell. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the frights in this week's episode. This episode of Horror 421, the podcast, is brought to you by Terror Tour. Music is a killer. Virginia Morgan is the lead singer of a band called the Valley Rats. They have embarked on a regional tour. There is excitement in the air, but there is also something else. One by one, members of the band receive ominous letters at each stop. At first, they think it is a harmless prank staged by a fan. Soon, they learn it is something much more sinister. The band will have to come together to play the show of their lives if there is any hope that they can survive the Terror Tour. Terror Tour can be found at valleyboypublications.com by clicking on the shop tab. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Horror 421 the podcast. I am your host, small town horror author Charles Campbell, and today I have an awesome guest. He's a friend of the show, he's a friend of mine. Uh, His name is Henrik Kuto. Henrik, introduce yourself. Well, hello, hello. Uh, I am indeed that person that you are <laughs> that you are saying so many nice things about, and I appreciate it very much. I am a uh, producer, director, and recently, I mean recently, as in the last four years or so, podcaster, uh, much like yourself. Um, uh, I do a show called Weekly Spooky, which hopefully people who are listening to this are familiar with it just because you're writing has been a uh, massive part of the show for the last about two, three years, two years, yeah, somewhere between two, two and three. three. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Uh, more than half of the lifespan of the show and it's a horror narration podcast, but it's more literary than a lot of the other narration podcasts. So we feature real, you know, short stories and we've featured a bunch of ones from one of your collections. You've also written some straight up for us. And it's been really cool. So, but my day in day out, how I pay the bills is working in micro budget, independent cinema. And that's a sentence I never really thought I'd be able to say, especially not before I was 40. (laughs) Here I am. They haven't repossessed the house yet. Oh, nice. Well, I'm 54 now and I didn't start this writing journey until I was in my 40s. So it's been, it's been a wild ride. See, and that's, but that's awesome because you cannot get obsessed with the age number thing. Right. Because I had the opposite problem. I, when I started to have success, I started to go, I'm a little young to, to take this kind of leap. And then it was like, nah, dog. Like (laughs) whenever (laughs) I have moments where I feel like, oh my God, uh, did I make the right choices? Oh my God. Like I'm so tired of this today. Cause there's a lot of BS and we can get into it, but there's a lot of BS in the film business. There's a lot of BS in show business. Whenever I start to feel really downtrodden about it, my mother always tells me, just remember I was 45 years old when I figured out what I was good at. That's what my mom always tells me. And she's a phenomenal business person. She's a, a phenomenal project manager, but she's like, when I was your age, I had just had you and I hadn't even figured out what I liked or was good at. And I, and then I go, man, yeah, I can see why you're like, shut up. You're lucky. You figured out your niche, you know, in your late twenties or well, kind of late twenties is when it actually started paying the bills instead of destroying the bills. Gotcha. (laughs) 
Well, before we really get into it, uh, I want to take a couple of moments here uh, to say a big fat thank you uh, to my co-host last year. And uh, she was on the first episode of season two, Elena Morales. She is a special effects makeup artist and she is amazing. Her work is top notch and I really would love to see her on film sets and doing that kind of work in the very near future. Um, She's got a great future ahead of her. But I wanted to publicly thank her. She's not going to be with us on season two. Maybe she'll pop in during the season. But uh, I just wanted to publicly uh, state my appreciation for all that she's done for Horror 421, the podcast, and all that she's done for me personally and professionally. So, Elena Morales, we love you. Thank you very much. Elena's awesome. She's totally awesome. I remember when you guys were, were flirting with starting the podcast. Oh yeah. Because you would write me and you'd be like, is this microphone okay? And then, <laughs> and then I remember I was pet sitting for my mother of all things. Um, and you were like, is there any way we could do a call? We just wanted to get some advice and stuff like right, that. Right. So I, ch- I had a, a, a video call with you and Elena, which was oftentimes, you know, conferences are a waste of time. That was not a waste of time because you remember I, I pointed out to you a mistake that people make all the time when they're recording on their computers for the first time, or even when they've recorded on the computers for hundreds of times, which is you, uh, you were talking and I was like, tap your microphone and you <laughs> tapped it and it did. And we didn't hear the thud, thud, thud. And I was like, your right. microphone's not on. It's your computer microphone because it'll, it'll default to it. Right. And it's hard. no, because, and this is like really in the weeds of podcasting experience, but I have friends who have made literally hundreds upon hundreds of episodes of podcasts. And then like episode 340, they're like, oh God, I had to re-record it because I recorded 45 minutes over the computer mic. I didn't tap my microphone before I started. Oh my goodness. Well, I was at Days of the Dead in Atlanta uh, a couple months ago. It's been a few weeks now. And uh, there's this nice kid. I love him to death. Uh, but he, he he has a podcast called What's Under the uh, What's Under the Bed with Dax. I think that's the title of the podcast. And he's had a lot of pretty cool guests on his show. And uh, I'm bringing this up because of what you just said. Uh, he he interviewed, uh, I can't remember the horror celebrity's name. I'm 54. I can't remember all these things. But he, he, he walked over with his grandmother and his father, and they walked over, and they interviewed the, the guy. I'm sorry. I can't remember who the guy is. But uh, they interviewed the guy, and he came back, and his dad was sitting there with him, and his grandmother was sitting there. And they started looking at the, well, attempting to look at the video they just took, and nothing recorded. Yeah. Nothing. And he was in tears. <laughs> and the guy, I don't know if the guy let him re-record or not, but uh uh yeah, he he wasn't very uh happy. So that was to just kind of piggyback on your point Ugh. of how tricky it can be. So especially oh, yeah. especially on location, I'm sure it was <laughs> Well, so the the tradition of cinema that goes all the way back to before there was sound and then to the beginning of sound is there's a redundancy to the to the announcement that you're that you're recording basically um in the early 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 days you always knew if sound if uh, the film was rolling because it was so loud it would you know right. that sound of the motor running but then we would have so i'm sure you've heard the saying like roll picture roll oh, sound yeah. yep that's a real thing that you should do just so that everybody's announcing that they're recording and that they're observing. So like, for instance, on a movie I'm doing now, we usually don't have uh, the sound person recording on a separate device. We usually like to, to juice it right into the camera. It's just, it saves us a bunch of time later. So the camera operator will say sound ready. And then we'll say 
camera speed and speed means that the timer started okay. like the the time code has started that's what speed means it used to be what you'd say because it meant when the film had gotten to its main speed you would yell speed you. and that meant you could say action but so literally like you know camera action so that way everybody's like announcing things and even when i'm directing and camera operating i'll still say roll camera speed action because it just you don't want to not record <laughs> right right yeah and, oof. and i'll admit that i'll admit it right here a couple of times in my life i couldn't tell you exactly when because i don't i mean it was i've made a lot of movies but there have been times in my life when i have not hit record on a take and I realized it right at the end, probably, I mean, probably a handful in 10 years, but where I've realized it on my end. So then I say, that was good, but I need one more. And <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. You know, because why should they know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> they being literally anyone. <laughs> anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I felt bad for the kid. So I hope, I hope that uh, whoever it was, let him re-record, but he, he recorded like 45 minutes and then. Uh, Woof. Yeah. Yeah. So he was pretty upset. But anyway, I want to talk about some of the things you have going on now. And I'm going to hold up this DVD case, and I want you to talk about this series you produced. Uh, I did purchase the DVD, and I know it's streaming somewhere. I want you to share with the audience where they can find it or where they can purchase this DVD. But Henrik has produced a new series called Found Footage. And uh, I must say, the stories are very diverse and unique, and I enjoyed all of them. Um, and one lesson that I did learn from watching this in Devil's Trail is never, ever, ever, ever never. go camping with Henry. Ever. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, because every I've been in two found footage movies where my character goes camping, and boy, does it not go well for <laughs> anyone, including myself. So, yeah, that's found footage the series, which is now available on Tubi TV, which is a phenomenal place to watch lots of independent movies and TV shows. And it's my first... Uh, a narrative television series as a producer on my own. Uh, I had done Boggy Creek, the series, which I produced and directed with Fred Olin Ray as the show creator and executive producer. And that was a really awesome experience. If, if only because Fred Olin Ray is a hero of mine right. and it was just wild to get to work with him after, uh, you know, admiring his work for so long. So we were putting together this TV show during the pandemic because I had another movie I wanted to film, but we couldn't. And I had joked that the only way we were going to, that if we didn't put the movie on hold, the only way the movie would happen is if the whole movie took place on like webcams. That was my joke because the movie, it was Babysitter Massacre 2. And, and right. it was like, that's not supposed to be that way. That's why we had to wait. So, but then all of a sudden I was like, wait, found footage has an incredibly low, a low investment to enter. You know, it, it, you don't have to have great cameras. Every filmmaker I talked to who was newer, and a lot of the filmmakers were newer filmmakers, were like, oh, but I don't have this or I don't have that. And I was like, do you have a phone? Make it on your phone. And they were like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, make a, make, tell your story, have a great time. In fact, the, the show is packed with uh, weekly spooky alumni too. Uh, the first episode that I directed is called Homesteaders. It was written by Shane Migliavaca. Shane has written many great stories for Weekly Spooky, and his one of his stories was the first story ever told on the show. 
Then we had Joe Salmo, who is another weekly spooky original, been there since right at the beginning. He wrote and directed an episode called Endgame, which he made with some friends. Basically, uh, an episode about playing something like D Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. over Zoom. Uh, Dan Wilder produced it with me. Dan Wilder's the producer of Weekly Spooky with me. He wrote and directed two whole episodes and wrote an episode I directed. So there were a lot of cool people. We also had Tim Castle, Andrew Shearer, Eric Whiting, all of these great talents. And that's what I've always loved about anthology television. And for those who aren't aware of exactly what anthology means in this context, it's like Tales from the Crypt, Twilight Zone. There's a new self-contained story every episode. And what I love about that is they're, they're 25 minutes long, roughly 25, 28, right. whatever. If you didn't love that one, don't worry. The next one is nothing like it. So maybe you will like that one. It's like Ramon's songs. I don't really like this one. Well, it'll be over really soon. And then you could try another one. <laughs> low, right. low investment, high reward. So, so we started that during the pandemic and there were a lot of interesting hurdles and, and things like that. And also it kept growing. That was the other problem. When we started it, we were like, we'll do like four or five episodes. Then it became six. Then it became seven. And then finally it became eight. And then I, I announced we had to be done making the show. I was like, <laughs> all right, we're done. The, the show is complete. It will well, now be published. I mean, there may be a season two. You I never was going to say that might leave season two open. That might well, leave season I'll, two open. I'll tell you, Dan Wilder's chomping at the bit. He loved doing the show because Dan's a really good example of somebody who does not have the technical know-how to make a movie. Uh, it's just not his forte. He's a not very gig, talented right. screenwriter. But when you tell him it can all be done with your friends via Zoom or on a cell phone or what, he his creativity explodes. And he ran off and made two very interesting episodes. He made uh, I Had Mothman's Baby, which was actually based on a weekly spooky story he yeah, wrote. Yeah, yeah. I remember and then, that. Yeah. And uh, one of the, most, the moistest stories ever on the program. Um, and then he did one called Mercury Screams. And Mercury Screams is so layered and fascinating to watch. It's the only episode of the whole series that I really think you need to watch like three times because there's so much going on. There's so many Easter eggs, so many hidden story pieces. It is really just a thick story. Well, I'll definitely go back and rewatch that for sure. Oh, I highly recommend it. It's basically supposed to be like a old recording of some kind of a interrupted PBS broadcast mm -hmm. and there's just piles and piles of references to the occult references to PBS references to music references to movies references to stories it's it's really like incredibly intricate filmmaking and I thought it turned out great so Dan is dying to do another one because because we kind of divided and conquered Dan handled Joe Salmo's story Dan handled his two stories and, um, and then I handled the other five, um, I directed two of them and then I brought on the directors for those. So it was a really cool experience. And the response has been overall very positive, which I'm, I'm thrilled with because I mean, we literally made a television series for the least amount of money you possibly could make a television series. And then we put it out into the world and it landed on Tubi, which I was thrilled. That's where I had hoped it would wind up. Because Tubi is such a great place. There's something so wonderful about being able to say, hey, I have a new TV series. You can watch it for free right now. Click this link. And I right. still get 
I don't get a lot of money per single view, but I get paid a piece of the commercials, just like right. regular television. Because you know what is old is new again. So exactly. now all of a sudden, the the it's funny. The the streamers are like, "Whoa, we figured out a whole new market. We're gonna play ads during the movie to pay for it." And I was like, "Oh, that's you mean like television? Television? <laughs> yeah, radio. <laughs> like that's that's the earliest model." <laughs> So that's, that's hilarious. That's, that's how it came together. I've been very happy with it. Like I said, doing pretty well on Tubi. It's also me putting my toe into the water of television again. Boggy right. Creek was a fun experience, but I was not, I don't own that show. That's Fredel and Ray's show. So, you know, he's promoting it and selling it and licensing it. Right. I did popcorn fodder, which we, which ended up on Tubi, which I did not think would end up on there, which is a uh, movie hosting show kind of like Elvira or Joe Bob Briggs or Sven Gulli, but where I host eight films. So every episode's like two hours, two hours and 10 minutes because I talk about the movie, interrupt every 15 or so minutes and give you trivia, anecdotes, things like that. And that was the first thing I got onto Tubi, but it's not a very traditional television program. So I didn't feel like you could really judge what it's like having a TV show on Tubi until, you know, until right. it was up so but now we're experimenting with we have our scripted tv show up on there right now and this is you you can have the the scoop on this one okay it, by the end of this year i don't know when it will be available to streamers but by the end of this year we're packaging a true crime television series where we're taking terrifying and true which is weekly spookies true crime episodes Right. we're taking terrifying and true taking the narrated portion that tells the story and creating visual elements and then making wraparounds. So it's kind of like, for lack of a better term, it's like an old syndicated true crime show. Oh, nice. Like it's, it's super low budget, super fun. We're filming these wraparound segments with me in a suit in a dark room with like fog and blue lights and stuff. It's going to be nice. really fun. And we're going to package that up and we're going to put that out myself, John Oak Dalton and uh, Carlos Gonzalez are uh, producing on that. Carlos is a really cool guy I met out in Jersey. He's been just getting his foot in the door. He just, uh, he has a documentary he edited on Tubi called Mail Order Murder, which Mail is, Order a, Murder. it's about a production company called Wave Productions based out of New Jersey. That was very, very strange and very, very prolific. It's a fascinating story. I'll have to check that out. Hey, uh, one quick question for you, Henrik, uh, still on found footage. Um, yeah. Can people still purchase this uh, physical media? Okay. Well, tell yep, them it's they at henflix.com. Yeah. All, all right. of my films that have any kind of physical media that I'm involved in are available at henflix.com. H-E-N-F-L-I-X.com. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff on there. Also, we have uh, the Babysitter Massacre books are available on there. Um, we have collector's editions, standard editions. Yep. The Babysitter Massacre, Daddy Little Killer, Daddy's Little Killer book. And we have another... Right now, I'm sitting on a, an entire new Babysitter Massacre book. I just need to look at that. You got the whole shebang. They got That's all right. four. I have the Kubo the, collection. Well, the David O'Hanlon slash David O'Hanlon. Yep. I mean, he and I, he and I had a blast. David O'Hanlon, another guy. I met him by him working on Weekly Spooky, and he's written five books because the fifth one's coming soon, and he's writing a sixth book, which is not in the Babysitter Massacre series. We're trying something new which I'll be announcing when it's nearly complete. Wow. I'm, right, I'm really right happy to hear that. I really am. So I, I, I'm very interested in that. So I'd like, I'd like to hear more about that when you can talk about it. <laughs> I, I try to dip my toe in things. The secret is 
you know, you, you act conservatively with your business. I think that's one of the reasons I've had so much fortune compared to a lot of other people in this business is because I keep the costs under control. I take calculated risks. I've never had, I've never, and I think that, that you should never have one project come out and think like, well, if this doesn't do well, we're sunk. That's a horrible methodology. Like I would need probably five losers in a row movie wise to be sunk. And I've never had any losers in a row, not trying to brag, but it's because of my business experience and things like that. But loser doesn't just mean that it's successful. Loser could mean that, you know, your payout was really low or your distributor went crooked. Although that doesn't happen a ton to me, thank goodness, but it has happened. And some of those sons of bitches know who they are. (laughs) But but yeah, so we're, so we're, we're, yeah, we're going to try a few more books is is my point. And then, you know, if they, so far they're just kind of a trickle of sales and that's okay. Cause the other fun thing is when we do a book, then we every now and then can release the whole audiobook on Weekly Spooky as a bonus, and everybody wins. The audiobook's already been recorded, so I get a day off. Yeah, they yeah. get like a three and a half hour story that's really exciting, and that's it. It's just a win. <laughs> well, yeah, I was making jokes with you about Horror 421, uh, The Road to Terror. I said, you read three more, my book's done. Honestly, you should you should remind me what those three are. Send me an email. I'll just do those, and All then right. you can have the audiobook. Uh, I'll I will do that uh, because I recorded my first audiobook, uh, me, and I do not have the uh, the charisma that my good friend Henrik has. So, what you how you hear me speaking here is how I'm talking on the fucking book. So, if, if you oh, don't like don't, my book, don't dig it yourself though. I like when the author <laughs> reads though. I feel like that's fun when yeah. the author reads. Yeah, I feel like fun. you. You either have to be like one of the best performers ever or the author for me to get really into an audiobook. Right. Well, you know, uh, so I mean, cause like, yeah, like I remember, what was it? I, like I listened to Gone Girl and they had a man and a woman do the husband and the wife's oh, parts. Wow. Yeah. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. But they were like top of the line. Same thing with, uh, what was another audiobook I loved? It was, um, uh, The Martian. That one had a phenomenal performance. So. As long as you're not reading monotone, you know, if you get, if you let yourself get into it, people are going to dig it. Right. Right. Well, I didn't read monotone, but you know, it's this old Southern boys country twang that just, I don't know. I don't like you mean the charm. Yeah, it's the your char- charm. Yeah, the charm. That's, a, it's your charm. That's, a good, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> well, my friend Henrik, he has, you know, he has directed a ton of movies and I, and I affectionately call my collection, the Kudo collection. I don't have everything he's done, but, uh, I do want to bring this up again. Uh, we may have talked about it in the previous podcast that you were on last year, but one of the movies that kind of stuck out to me, um, and I'd like for you to talk about it a little bit here again, if you can, is the one that starred Mary Lee Osborne and Violent Instinct. Violent Instinct, yeah. This, well, violent, yeah, yeah. this one really stuck out to me, and, I, and, and I've watched it a couple of times now. Uh, I really enjoy this movie for some reason. It's, it's a good movie. It's a great film. So Violent Instinct has a, has a pretty interesting formation because that is actually a different edit of another film. Okay. So it was originally a film. It's directed by my good buddy, Eric Whiting, who directed an episode of Found Footage of the Series. He's my editor. He's my assistant director on, on most of my films. And that was his second feature-length movie. So the original film was called Primordial. And it ran a little over an hour and five minutes or two hours and five minutes. It was, it was really, it was quite long. Oh, wow. And I thought it turned out well. 
but my only thought was it's kind of long. So I did the sound mix for, for primordial as a favorite Eric, you know, cause he does favors me. I do favors for him. So I'm doing the sound mix and thanks to doing the sound mix, I became extremely familiar with the film, you know, cause mm-hmm. I'm sitting there watching it for like 45 hours straight. <laughs> uh, that's the job. So I, I actually, I didn't even have to call him then. Cause he was still my roommate back when he made that movie. So I went to his bedroom and I knocked on the door <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, Hey Eric, you know, I, w- I had a thought. How would you feel about if I made a producer's cut? Because I'm the producer on that film. How mm-hmm. would you feel if I made a producer's cut of the film, which is shorter and more focused on being a crime movie? Because his version is more focused on being a character study. Okay. So I he said, sure. Yeah. So we we made a deal for that. And I put out a Blu-ray DVD combo, which you have, and then also distributed it to some streaming services and things like that. Eric watched the cut. He thought it was a good cut. You know, he, of course, and rightfully so, missed all the things I removed. And I removed a lot. The movie's like 78 minutes now. So yeah. I, I cut out almost a... Uh, well, yeah, when you said two hours and five minutes, I'm like, this thing was under 90 minutes. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you cut it. Yeah. Well, in, in his version of the film... Basically, uh, we're introduced to the character and then a bunch of stuff happens. And the moment that she, cause the movie's about a woman who starts working for a crooked business that beats people up. They're a loan shark and stuff like that. And she realizes that she, that's why I called it violent instinct. She realizes she has a violent instinct. She has this desire to hurt people that she didn't really understand was there. And now she can just wreak havoc on people until it takes her over entirely. So in the original version, though, the the scene where she meets the people at the, the job agency mm-hmm. that turn out to make her a criminal, that's almost 35 minutes into the film. In my version, that's about eight minutes in. Right. So we skipped a lot of buildup. Um, and there are a few other little things I did, too. I, I put something from the end at the beginning and yada, yada, yada to you know artistic stuff. But that was the birth of Violent Instinct because... Eric and I both agreed that the original version primordial was not very marketable, that it was a bit more niche. So I was like, well, let me try slapping together a more marketable version and we'll see if it does any business. And for, I mean, now it's, you know, doing okay business has been out for years and years, but when I first put it out, it actually brought in some cash and we were both very happy. Nice. Well, yeah, I heard you talk uh, before about, you know, how, how you like to revive projects and yes. going the other way. Like if a movie cut is too short, like if it's at 58 minutes or whatever, um, you know, the things you can do to expand it and, and create something uh, yeah. marketable. We, we call it uh, being a hatchet man. That's, that's the, that's usually what people call that. Um, I, I've done that many times and I am not allowed to tell you any of them. That's the way it goes. In fact, several of the films that I've come in after the fact and shot more scenes for or whatever at behest of the investors, I'm not credited at all. So there's like no way to know. Like you might be able to figure it out if you watch a movie and for some reason I have some like little tiny credit somewhere. Okay. Because that's like the only thing they gave me because I don't generally do like – small things like i'm not usually a like associate producer or something right that's just not usually what i do i'm usually an executive producer or producer or a director so you can kind of figure it out if they've stuck my name in there 
Um, and there's a risk. Any movie you see with my name as producer, I may have directed a portion of the movie or I may not have. But that's not important because my job was just to get the film done on time and on budget, not to get take credit from other people who worked overall harder than I did. I mean, I would most of the time when I have to fix a movie, I have like two days to fix a movie that the other people had eight days on or six days on or whatever. Right. And uh, it's challenging, though, because oftentimes when they want you to come in and fix a film, they don't have access to any of the original cast or locations or anything. So you have to get really creative and come up with how the hell you're going to make this movie make sense. The most recent hatchet job I did was a movie I can't tell you, right? <laughs> but but it was a it was a it was a cool movie and it was a lot of fun. But it was after the director turned in a cut that was seventy some minutes long, which is long enough, but it was boring. There was a <laughs> lot of padding, a lot of filler, right? So we cut all the filler out, and now the movie's like fifty eight minutes, too short for anybody to take it. We showed it to a couple of distribution partners and they all said, we don't want it like at right. all. They were actually like adamant that it just was bad and to forget about it. They told us to write the movie off as a loss. So I told the producer, give me this amount of money and give me some points on the film so that if, if we sell it, I'll get some money. And eventually after Hemin and Han, I got the job. Right. And this was just because I was friends with the producer, like right. a, a buddy. And I went out and myself and Dan Wilder, uh, we, we came up with a concept, wrote 35 pages. And then I went out and shot those 35 pages. We incorporated them into the film. And then the film was feature length. And then we sold it to the exact same distributor that said you know. that the movie would never work. <laughs> they bought it. Good. They put it out. It, it felt okay. It would have been, it would have felt better if they paid more, but oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it always feels better when they pay more, I guess. but it's tricky because I use the term hatchet man with a, you know, with a wink and a nod. Mm -hmm. The idea of being a hatchet man is that you're hacking, you know, you're being a hack. You're, 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 that's, that's kind of the idea. But in my experience, if you want to successfully turn a movie that's too short into a feature length movie, the secret weapon you have in your arsenal is not, not caring. It's caring because nobody else cared. Like the last film that I went in and spruced up for distribution, I watched the movie. And my first thought was there is a lot to like about this movie, this movie that everybody called bad or called too short and, and, and boring or whatever. I looked at it. I was like, there's a lot to like here. Like there's some good performances. There's some good photography. There's some good cues and things like that. Right. Like, but nobody cares to fix the movie. You know, uh, the director didn't care to work longer hours to get more movie. He, you know, it, it just, nobody cared. Everybody gave up. Gotcha. So then I called, when I called my buddy Dan and I was like, Hey Dan, this is what I'm looking at. Do you want to do it with me? And he said, hell yeah. I was like, well, here's the secret, Dan, you got to watch that movie and you got to join me in loving this movie and believing that this movie is a good movie, but we have to figure out how to bring it home. And I'll tell you, one of the big problems the movie had was a lack of emotionality. Like, it just kind of, things just happened one after the other. There were a few, uh, it was more like a thriller movie. And there were a few tense moments and a few sad moments. But overall, it was a little stilted. Right. So I was like, okay, we're writing, we're doing 30 pages. So we're writing, it was something like 25 scenes. 
that we're going to sprinkle throughout the movie. And I was like, okay, imagine our scenes are paprika. We're trying to flavor the entire film in the direction we want it to go. So every scene we shot was like crying or yelling or screaming or about to die. It was all really intense because then in my opinion, it brought the emotional factor way up on the film. It made the film grab you a little bit more right? and gave it a strength to it. And Honestly, it was overall a really fun experience to, to do that once we figured out what we were doing at all. And I can't overstate, I mean, this is the kind of thing, there was no money behind it. We could hire, we hired one actor and the, there had to be a voiceover role, uh, two voiceover roles. And they were literally my friends, Rachel and Michelle like friends of mine. I just went like, I need you to say these things into a microphone real quick. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And they did them. And I was like, thank you so much. Sign this release form. And they were like, what? <laughs> I was like, I have to get this done as soon as possible. So, and, and, and it's not just about necessarily about shooting more footage and cutting it in either. You have to go through the film and fix the sound. The sound's not quite right. The levels are wrong. There's noise. The music's all wrong. You got to swap it all out. You got to just spruce it up. You really, it was like flipping a house. You know, it was like, it needed a new coat of paint, an entirely new bathroom, an entirely new <laughs> den, the kitchen. You just needed to paint it and put tile down, but some of the rooms were gutted. You know, that's the way it was. And I'm not going to say that I look for those jobs because I don't. They, they, they find me somehow. I think it's because not a lot of people do this. Right. There are a few guys that do this. Like Fred Olin Ray has incredible stories about being called in to save a movie that was going over budget or going behind schedule and how he would show up and everybody would be like, Ugh, and he'd be like, look, I can just, we can either spend today firing those of you who don't want to work for me now, or we can spend today working your call. And, but I love those stories because the reason they called Fred was Fred had the reputation for being able to do that, for being able to fix a movie up and get it right, not cause problems, not fight with the producers. And in the end, everybody would be happy because there was a movie, because I always say better to have an okay movie than no movie. I, I wholeheartedly believe that very, very much. I am not a perfectionist. I love making movies. I don't love almost making movies. Right, right. I love when they are complete and people are watching them and I get to do it again. That's my favorite thing in the world. I've directed 17 feature films. I've produced almost, it's about 30 now. And it's my favorite thing in the world to do. Yeah, and I've got a ton of, well, I won't say a ton, but I've got quite a few of Henrik uh, directed and produced films, and I've barely scratched the surface. I don't have half of what you've done, uh, <laughs> but everything I've watched, I've enjoyed. And if you thank know, you, if I if I didn't, I wouldn't blow smoke. But you know, it seems like the actors you put together, especially in the films that I've seen, you had you had a core group of people that generally liked each other. I could tell that that came through, and uh, from that, you can see how well they work together. Uh, and we talked about some of these films in the other podcasts, but uh, last year. But you know, a couple of the constants that I saw were Joni and and, and uh, John Hambrick in some of your in some of your films. Those two work really well together. I, you know, uh, it's the people you find and and the the way they gel. Uh, you, yeah. you you have a good uh, you have a good eye for those folks, and, well, I, and I know and, they're friends. And working with them, it's like it's like a sieve. It, the people who are difficult or unpleasant, they 
don't go, they don't pass through the sieve. They, they stay at the top and then you throw, you're like, okay, not again though. Like that wasn't fun. <laughs> so on a, on a lot of movies, you end up with mostly people you like. Cause if you're watching a movie and you're like, Hey, that's their fifth movie. You know, all these people, that's their fifth movie uh, with, with then Henrik, then it's like, Hey, I like them. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. They're fun I'm... to work with. They're easy to get along with. And that's, and that's important because anybody who's a jerk, like whenever somebody's kind of a jerk and I've had I've dealt with some, when you deal with a jerk on a movie, my response is always like, look, none of us are getting paid enough for you to act like this. So <laughs> shape up or ship out because most of us, including myself are being paid in fun and experience. Right. I remember when I first started making my movies and we had, I mean, just no money to go around. I remembered once telling an actor, like, I just wish I could, I could pay you something. And, and it was an older guy named Jeff Berkman. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, a lot of people pay good money for this much fun. <laughs> that's right. And I took that to heart. You know, I that's took right. that to heart. I was like, I was like, he's not wrong. And that's when I started believing in the prospect of fun is money. And that's something that I take very seriously. So like, I may not get to go on vacations, you know, I may not get to do all these other things, but I do get to have fun. And right. generally someday the fun pays me back. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it really depends on the movie. You know, sometimes it takes two years for the fun to pay back, right. but, but the fun has to be a part of my payment to myself. Well, uh, the, the last time we spoke on last year's podcast, you were working on, and I just wanted to see where you are in the process. You were sure. working on a Western. Um, yes. Where are, where are you with that project? That's actually available. Is it? Yeah. On your website? Uh, no, no, there's no physical media. Okay. Yet. Well, where, where can I find that? Because I've been wanting to watch that. Damn it. It's man. on Tubi. <sighs> yeah. Okay. So I, I did that film. It's called Jesse James Unchained. I did that film for ITN. Uh, ITN Distribution, who is a great partner, and we've done a lot of projects together. They hired me to make that film, and it was actually, they were the best because they hired me to make that movie right after COVID was kind of easing off, like in the beginning of 2021. As things were easing off, they hired me to make that movie, and literally, I didn't, <laughs> sounds so silly, I didn't want to take the job because I was trying to get Babysitter Massacre 2 off the ground and we were having a really hard time. We lost a lot of cast members and stuff. Not, I mean, they like aren't available. They moved away right, or whatever. Right, right, right. They didn't so die or anything. They just. No, thank them. goodness. But but <laughs> a lot of trouble has had come up. I ended up having to just do a page one rewrite of the script so that I felt confident in the changes. But that's a whole other conversation. But so I was, I, I didn't want to take the job. But the truth is after 2020, I was dead broke. Yeah. And I desperately needed the work. So how the fuck did I miss this? I, I'm watching that tonight. <laughs> it, it came out somewhat quietly. I, I, I don't have any control over that. Yeah. So, okay. so okay. it just, it came out and now people can watch it. It's on Tubi. It's on Amazon to rent. Uh, if okay. you don't want commercials, um, it turned out really nice. Stars, John Hambrick stars, Rachel yeah. Rodolphe. It, it turned out really good, but, uh, Unfortunately, the challenge of that film was we shot two days of it and then we had to shut down because there was a COVID outbreak to half the crew, not from our set, but, but just in general. Right. Uh, so we shut down and then while we, and then we, we, we shut down and it was like three weeks till winter. So we had to wait for winter to end because we, everything we filmed was pre-winter. So while we were waiting for everything to wrap up, I caught COVID 
and got very, very ill. And then I got long COVID and I was sick for about seven months. Ugh. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember yeah. when you were out with that. <sighs> that was miserable. So eventually I had to finish the movie, even though I was still sick. Uh, so yeah. I still, I could, I, I mean, cause long COVID it's like my lung capacity was low. I was lethargic. I slept all the time, stuff like that. Luckily, Rachel Rodolfi was the producer on it and she was able to get me through it. I mean, straight up. She's the reason that movie got done. She was the one that would look at me and be like, go sit in your chair. And I'd be like, well, but I'm over here doing this. And she'd be like, go sit in your chair. I need you to work till five. You can't go wasting your energy. She was the one that kept everything in line and kept everything moving because I was, I only had the energy to run that camera and direct the actors. Yeah. I didn't have the energy. Usually I do all kinds of ridiculous stuff. I remember the weirdest thing about being sick while we made that movie was everybody unloading the production vehicles, except me. That was the weirdest thing ever. I've never not put my hands on right. stuff in the production vehicles and pulled it out, but I went to do it. And Rachel was like, ah, you go sit and, and look at the scenes that you're going to be doing. Like, that's what you need to do right now. And I was like, but I can help with it. She's like, no, no cause no you're going to get tired. Yeah. You're going to be really tired by 4 p.m. and you still got another hour to go. And I don't and know Rachel personally. Uh, obviously, not not like you do, obviously, or, or or at all. I don't know her personally at all. But she seems like a fantastic individual. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. she is. Why don't you talk about her a little bit? Uh, because Never. she's produced some of the things you've done, <laughs> and uh, you know she was great in the uh, in the uh, found footage uh, as your. Uh, did she play your wife? I can't. remember. Yeah, it was a wife. wife. We were newlyweds. Yeah, yeah, newlyweds. That's right. Uh, but she's an amazing actor too. So uh, let's, let's pump up Rachel a little bit on the podcast. Sure. Well, the way I met Rachel was actually through Joni Durian. So okay. when we were making haunted house on sorority row, I needed somebody for a shower scene and a lot of people, you know, that can be sensitive. Well, right. Joni was like, Oh, I know this girl named Rachel who is, I've been friends with since I was a child. And she's an art artist model. She's not shy. It wouldn't be a weird thing. So I got a hold of her and she came and worked on, on the film one, one evening. And when we did scare waves, I remembered she was pretty good and she was very reliable. So I said, Hey, do you want to come and play this role in scare waves? She said, yes, she came out, did the role, did a really good job. And we just kind of became friends from there. So over the years, she would be in a movie here. She'd be in a movie there. She'd do this. She'd do that. And then came Boggy Creek, the series and Boggy Creek, the series. I mean, I, I directed six episodes and they were very involved episodes. And after about two months of working on that series, I was horribly burnt out. I had no idea just how much work it was going to be. So I called Rachel because she had been kind of suggesting she wanted to get involved behind the scenes a little bit more. And I said, Hey, you, I need you to produce this show with me. And she was like, well, what does that entail? So I kind of showed her how to make a script breakdown, how to, you know, do all this stuff and yada, yada. And I told her like, if you do this stuff, I'll make sure the light equipment, the sound equipment, the camera, the lenses, I'll make sure all of that arrives. You just make sure the actors and the, and the uh, props and costumes arrive. That'll be your half. And I had already shot um, two and a half episodes of the series. And now she was going to produce the rest. And I'll never forget after her first full day working on producing, she came over to my house that evening. And when I opened the door, she just gave me a big hug and was like, how did you do everything? And this, <laughs> like, this is so much work. And I was like, I know. So 
she produced the final few episodes of the series. They went incredibly smoothly. And from there, I really can't imagine if I'm making a film in Dayton, I can't imagine not having her produce because she's very good. She's very organized. She's pretty detail oriented. And that's saying something for me because I have the greatest superpower of any filmmaker. And that is an under medicated anxiety disorder. That's what allows me to focus on all of the things I focus on at the same time. <laughs> it's a superpower. And so when I, you know, when I praise her, that's pretty good. Like I, I remember, I think it was our first or second day that we shot that she had produced she realized she'd forgotten one prop and it was kind of a major prop. And she was like, uh, it was a camera. We needed a security camera. No. And I told her, I, I told her like, Hey, if you need to buy anything, all you have to do is, is call me or text me and say, Hey, we need this. It's this much. And I'll either yay or nay it. If I nay it, then I have to come up with another solution, you know? Right. So, so she says like, Hey, I want to buy this $20 plastic key camera for, cause it'll look good on screen. If I say nay, then I need to have a new solution because she has her solution, you know, right. kind of kind of like, you know, when you're married, it's like you can't just say, I don't want to eat there. You need to say, I don't want to eat there. I want to eat at blank. You have to add to it. You can't just be negative. Well, she had forgotten that prop and she was all beating herself up and she was upset. And I was a little mad, too, because it's like, ah, the next day it's tomorrow. And then I dug around the house and eventually I actually found an old like beat up crappy secure, like nanny cam that I had for right. when I first got my dog that I used to use to watch her before I realized that was stupid. She just lays in her cage and relaxes. <laughs> so I found that. And since it only had to be a prop, we didn't need the power cord, which I had no idea where it was. We didn't need anything. Right. So you I just showed need her the that. appearance. That's it. Yeah. So I showed her that. I said, okay, we'll use this. And she was like, okay. And then I told her, I was like, don't think that I've never went through this when I was in charge. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't happen a lot, but it, I've totally had to make do at the last possible second because I missed something. I'm human. So anyway, so Boggy Creek was her first big experience being on that. I believe she was considered the production manager. Um, and then I moved her up to just being straight producer, you know, just, just doing it and doing it. So she produced Jesse James Unchained. I believe that was her first feature that she was the full on producer. And she also acted in it and she did a great job. We, that film, we made that when COVID was still kind of going. So every person who was behind the camera was in front of the camera. That's why there were some actors you'd never seen before because it was like, we're all together. Everybody who's here has to be in front of the camera at least once because we wanted as few people as possible to be around. Right. right. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna check that out tonight. Uh, I would have watched it a long time ago, but. I uh, was just being stupid. I didn't know it was out. It's only been there for maybe two months. Okay, cool. So not that I'll, long. I'll I'll check it out tonight for sure. Well, big shout out to Rachel. You're awesome. Yes. <laughs> no, she really is. She is she is a boss boss. And no, I, 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 yeah, I believe it. Uh, you know, uh, and, and she's a good actor on top of everything else. So she really is, and that's and that's always the fun part is. Uh, I, it's definitely the way it is when you're, when you're acting and then also working crew on something, there's that moment of relief when your scenes are done and you can go like put on tennis shoes and just be the crew person <laughs> and not have to have your makeup ready or whatever. Rachel's also our makeup artist on pretty much everything. Oh, wow. So she, I mean, not an effects makeup artist. She does like, you know, right. yeah, hides, just, the, yeah, you know hides the scabies and all that good stuff, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well. I want to shift gears a little bit and sure. I want to bring it back to weekly spooky, but I want to tell you something. 
we have something in common uh, uh, with a fella who who did your weekly spooky theme. I want to talk about Ray Mattis a little bit. Oh, the uh, man, the myth, the legend. The man, the myth, the legend. Uh, I have a new podcast coming out, by the way, called Backstage 421. It's going to be musicians only. So, uh, Henrik, you're a musician, too. I may have you on that. I but, would be. Uh, ha- I, I don't do a lot of music these days, but I do have two albums out. So, well, I mean, there, you, there you I, I would be happy to talk about music. But Ray did the uh, theme music for the new podcast. So, shout out to Ray Mattis. And I want to I hear Henrik's take on Ray and how he met him. Because I got Ray's take. Uh, when I had him on the podcast last year. So I want to get Henrik's take on, on how they met and how he formed a friendship with Ray. It's a, Ray gave me a pretty cool story. So I want to see, you know, what Henrik's take is. Well, Ray is, I mean, he's a cool dude. I've hung out with him in person several times. I'm going to get to see him uh, in two weeks at Sonoma Wasteland, which I'm so amped about. And he lives in Philadelphia. I live in Dayton, Ohio. So we live about eight hours apart. So it's not like I'm driving over for lunch. Right. But Basically, Ray is the example I give to people when they say, like, how do I get to work with you in some capacity? Like, how do I do it? I always tell them the same thing. I say, well, you need to understand that I'm insanely busy, but that doesn't mean I'm too busy to work with you. It means that I'm too busy to remember that you want to work with me. So what I need from you is to just be a squeaky wheel, Mm -hmm. you know, just send me an email every now and then just like, Hey man, anything cool going on? Or if you, you know, if you see, this is when I tell people a lot, I'm like, add me on Facebook. If you see me say like, I'm working on a movie, there's no harm in sending a quick Facebook thing and saying, Hey, is there anywhere for me to do something on it? The worst I can say is, well, we're kind of all full. That's the worst you'll get. I'm never going to be mad at you for wanting to work for me. Right. That's like a great, that's a great compliment that you want to work for me. So so Ray had sent me an email and said, if you ever need music, I would love to do music. And that was at the worst time in my entire career for him to ask that <laughs> because he wanted to score a horror movie. And that was during a period when I made almost no horror movies. I had made that year. I had made Calamity Jane's Revenge. And that, okay. which was a Western, obviously not a horror film, you know, just a straight up Western. Yeah. I have the DVD case here. I'll, I'll show it to the people who are watching. <laughs> so I made Calamity Jane's Revenge and that was followed by Making Out, which was a romantic comedy. And that one already had a composer and it was not a horror film. Although now Ray has branched out and cause he just needed to realize he can do anything. He already knew in his heart, he can do freaking anything. Yeah, he's such he's a musical genius. He's amazingly talented. He's amazingly um, talented. He just delivered a, uh, a, he just composed a score for the film I'm producing with John Oak Dalton right now, which we haven't announced yet, but we, we're doing it with ITN distribution. Right. And Ray's score on that is so freaking good. And it's exactly his sweet spot because the movie is about technology run amok. And Ray <laughs> loves his like old school. And by old school, I mean like 1990s industrial techno sound. He loves that. And when I told him what the movie was like, he was like, what do you think about me kind of going KMFDM with it? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> so anyway, so Ray would, he sent me an email. He's like, do you have anything to work that I could possibly work on? No. A couple months later, do you have anything to work on? Unfortunately, no. And he would like send me like an, uh, you know, a song, an MP3. And I'd listen to it. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I'll, I'll try and keep it in mind, but yeah, feel free to keep bugging me. Cause I was telling him bug me. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling him to. So then I made making out again. No, no, no. Then I made alone in the goat. It was not alone in ghost house. It was, uh, it was 
Maybe it was Alone in the Ghost House. I can't. I made a found footage movie, and it did not need a score. It might have been Amityville No Escape, but it doesn't matter. Um, I it didn't need a score. So again, no. Right. But but then, like magic, in late September, he sends me that email. Hey man, anything going on? And I'm literally sitting at my desk, reading, or was it? Uh, writing that's what i was writing i was literally sitting at my desk writing a horror short for halloween like i was literally he sent me that email i was literally like writing the last scene of a, nice. of a short film called scary clown so i said actually i do if you're if you're cool with scoring a five minute movie i would love to have you because that's and that's for me that was the lowest risk too because if if his score was just completely wrong and we couldn't get it right I'll use stock music. It's not a long short, but I would rather use his original music because it'll sound right. better. So he was like, oh, that's great. And I said, well, would you like to read the script? Because I'm, I've just finished it. So he said, sure. So I sent him the script. And he was like, oh, man, I'm going to start working on it tonight. So eventually I go out, I film the movie, I cut it together. Like I said, five minute short, I send it to him. He composes a score. I get it back and I'm just blown away. I'm like, oh, man, this score brings it all together. And I've always believed that. If you have a dirt cheap movie, you should spend as much time or money or whatever, whatever you have to at your disposal, getting as much original music as possible mm -hmm. because everybody recognizes the canned music. We all recognize the, the, the royalty free spooky sound and the suspense right. sounds and, and they're cute and everything. Like they work great on podcasts. They work great on audiobooks, but when it's supposed to be a feature movie, you kind of expect there to be original music. Right. So whenever possible, I want there to be original music. Um, I haven't always been able to do, but I've even like, I've went as far as like on Haunted House and Sorority on Scarewaves, I scored those myself because oh, I wow. didn't have, uh, I didn't have a composer. So I just did a really simple thing with a keyboard. Right. I am not John Carpenter. He knows how to play a keyboard. <laughs> I knew how to hit keys and kind of get a sound I liked. Right. But so after Scary Clown, I immediately was like, well, let me see what's next. And that's where we kind of went from there. And he's scored a bunch of movies for me and John Dalton. Cause you know, I produced with John in a way, in a way it's funny. John is like the big brother. I never had John Oak Dalton. Oh yeah. He's like the big brother I never had, but as a director, I'm kind of his mentor. Like I've been kind of teaching him how to become a director and, and, and make his movies. And he's done a really great job and I've been well, able to be good, there with him to make sure that they turn out relationship. You're it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but it's just funny that it's like, I look up to him in many ways and then he, he has to look up to me about making movies. Cause that's <laughs> the thing I've been doing forever. Right. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much how Ray and I came to, to terms on, on working together. And then, and then, you know, that's kind of, it always seems to go this way from there. It was just, we had good rapport Obviously, if we both like movies enough that we want to spend all of our free time working on them, then clearly we have stuff in common. So before you know it, it's like, oh, man, you're going to Cinema Wasteland. I'm going to Cinema Wasteland. It's like, oh, man, come up to my hotel room. We're going to watch TV, you know, and then it, you know, we're going to order a pizza and we're going to hang out and we're going to tell stories and, and talk a bunch of smack. So it's been really awesome. And I've also I really one thing I love about Ray. And I know he's listening to this because he loves when people talk about him. Um, <laughs> but one thing I love about Ray is when someone does anything for me, I, I consider anything, even if, I, if I'm paying you, I consider it a favor. 
You know, if you come through with what you've promised, I consider, I consider myself indebted to some extent. And I love a lot of people will not ask for me to do something because they assume I'm too busy. And granted, I'm a busy guy, but that doesn't mean I can't, I'm not too busy to be somebody's friend. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And I love that Ray has had me design artwork for some of his album covers and stuff. I have, I, I'm a little bit of a photo editor, photo taker and stuff. So he's had me make uh, posters, you know, make the oh, artwork nice. for his albums. And I'm, I love that he asks me because it makes me feel great to be able to do something for him and, and get him out of a jam, do something I'm good at that he has no skills at. Cause he's right. doing the same for me. I've, I don't want to score a whole movie. I don't think I'd do as good a job as him. Right. Right. In fact, I know I wouldn't do as good a job as him. I guarantee I wouldn't. So, <laughs> so that's been one really nice thing. Cause I really love it when the people I work with ask me for favors because I always tell them like the worst I could say is I'm too busy right now. Right. That's the right. worst you're going to, I think the worst raise ever gotten was like, I'll start on Monday. And it was like Wednesday. And I was like, I'll start <laughs> next week. And he was like, cool. That's it. You know? So in fact, I think he has, a, he has one he wants me to work on next week or maybe it'll be after wasteland. We'll see. He'll probably, he'll, knowing Ray, he's a bit dramatic. He'll want to tell me all about it in person. So since well, we're going to be seeing each other, that's what he'll do. I will tell you, we had a great time with him on the podcast last year. His stories were so fucking entertaining, man. I, yep. I, I laughed my ass off and uh, we, we went over on the podcast. You know, we try to keep it to a, a certain time, but it's not locked in stone. And we were wrapping up and I, and then he said, well, I'll save this story for the, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're not going to save that story. Tell it now. And he was so freaking cool, man. I, I love Ray. I'd love to hang well, out with best. that guy. He's yeah. the best. And he's exactly the way he is on Facebook or, you know, he's exactly the way he is on the phone, on interviews. He's exactly that way. He just is that guy. He's just larger than life. He's got a humongous personality. Oh and yeah. The only, to be frank. The only thing that matches his giant personality is his gargantuan heart. He is yeah. such a sweet human being. He legitimately cares about people. You know, I've been going through a lot with my dog being sick and he checks on me, asks me how I'm doing, tells me I can call him and vent if I need to. He's a good guy. Yeah. And some of the best friends I've made in my entire life were through what I do. So I'm very, very fortunate and very thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're we're fortunate to to have you, Henrik. You're you're a you're a cool guy, man. And uh, I try. You know, I I found I found you because I picked up a movie, and then I started messaging the cast members saying, "Hey, you were great. You were great." And that's how I met you. So it was it was pretty it was pretty good. It was it was a pretty good way to meet somebody. Well, and you uh, know, it's that's another funny thing. I often tell people like, if I had any good advice, it would be if you're still actively a fan of things, which I am very, very much, you know, a, a big fan of movies, TV shows, you know, music, all kinds of things, write fan letters. It's the best thing you could ever do. I, I have made friends with people I admire because mm -hmm. I took five minutes out of my day to, to just send them a note going, dude, I loved this thing you did. Yeah. It was really awesome. Thanks for putting it out there. Like if I, if I put on a random indie movie, and it blows me away. The first thing I do is hop on Twitter and see if I can tweet at them like, dude, what an awesome movie. Right. Right. And, and, and a lot of times you can, and they'll, you know, they'll reply back. But like, I got to be on a show called alienating the audience. It's a podcast, highly recommended. It's hosted by a guy named Andrew Heaton. I have been a massive fan of Andrew Heaton's. He's a political commentary, social satirist, uh, writer. He's a really funny guy. Huge fan of his, literally 
like impossible big fan of his. I wrote him a fan letter and he wrote me back and was just super nice. And then he was like, Hey, uh, uh, since your name's kind of unusual, I looked it up and, uh, looks like you make movies. Are you based in California? And I was like, no, I'm actually based in Ohio. We talked a little bit. And he's like, Oh, well, do you want to come on my sci-fi podcast? Cause, uh, I'm sure you have really interesting insights into science fiction movies. So he was like, just name a movie, a science fiction movie you like, and I'll watch it and you can watch it. And then we'll talk about it. Hey, yeah. And I've gotten to be on like two, two episodes of three, three podcasts with him so far. And every time he emails me, he goes, would you want to do this? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I am a massive fan, you know, like, so that's, so I always tell people that and, and, but that's a good example. Like you like something and you know that it's, it's a kindness to just to write to somebody and be like, Hey, I really liked what you did because we yes. all work so hard and no matter the level or amount of work or the money you're making, you're tired at the end of the day. and I'm sure everybody, no matter, I'm sure even people who are making millions of dollars stop sometimes and go, would it be more fun to just be a janitor? This is hard and I'm <laughs> tired. And then you get an email from somebody you don't know. And they're just like, I watched your movie. It really made me happy or I really loved it. Or it was really funny. Or I, I, this, it made me think about this or that all of a sudden you're, you're walking a little lighter and yeah. there's a spring in your step. The air smells sweeter. It, it really is wonderful. I agree. I agree. I've, I've had similar things happen to me uh, through the books I've written, people reaching out, telling me they enjoyed this or that, or uh, it'll go the other way. I'll get a one-star review telling me my book sucked because it was about the devil, but that's all right, too. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you got to have some books about the devil. I, yeah. I'll tell well, you right no, now. I had a corrector. I said, it wasn't a devil, ma'am. It was a demon. There's a difference. Ah, get it right. <laughs> the next one's about the devil. No, I, I, I'll tell you right now. You want to, you want the harshest criticisms of your life. Have a movie released on television in England. Those oh, people, yeah. <laughs> when the IMDB message boards existed, I had to just ex ignore the entire message board because there was so much vitriol. So many people <laughs> telling me to kill myself. Oh, on the IMDb message board, I was like, nah, nah, I'm, 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 I'm just never going here again. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So, it, but, but I mean, I've always said that when you get positive reviews, you're, you're reaching a lot of friends and fans. When you get negative reviews, you're reaching a wide audience because right. if, if a bunch of people give you a negative review, you're probably getting hundreds of others that didn't have, want to post anything. They may have liked it or not, but they definitely didn't take the time to write a review of any sort. Right. So when you get hate, you kind of have to take it as a little bit of a badge of honor and be like, well, uh, you're checking my stuff out and I appreciate you. No, you're absolutely right. I, um, and I've told people who have asked me for advice on writing and, and you know, becoming an author. I, I tell them all, you got to have thick skin. Not everyone's going to like your stuff. And, and one that's a friend of mine, and, and I'm not going to give any hints as to who it is. You know, that person was taking things a lot. Uh, she was... He or she <laughs> was taking those things a lot, a lot too personally. Uh, you know, uh, they get a review and I, uh, well, I just want to give up. I, I, I just can't take another negative review. I said, it's part of it. You've got to. Yeah. Uh, if you really want to write, that's what you're going to deal with. Uh, some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it, but it's okay. It's like you said, they're talking about it. So, yeah. Hey. And, 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 but it is hard. I mean, and, and every, it's so funny. I remember I, I gave a talk once at some filmmaking event and, I said, uh, I'm sure you, you, you know, that when it comes to a career in filmmaking, you really just, the, the negative reviews just roll off your back and everyone's like, yeah. And then I was like, yeah, no, they like every one of them hurts my feelings. 
They all hurt my feelings. I just get over it. Right. But they right. all hurt my feelings. When they say like, you shouldn't be making movies. I'm like, uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to. So sorry. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Guess well, I'm just disappointing you extra. Well, being a, a writer and a creator, uh, it, it puts me in a different mind frame when I'm looking at someone else's work because sure. I'm looking at it through their lens. They put the work into it like you. You put the work into it. You make sure the camera's where they need to be. The lighting is how it's supposed to be. The dialogue is where you want it. And, you know, when I'm watching films, I'm thinking these people are working. This is what they're putting out. So I'm not going to. Unless it's something completely atrocious that, you know, I don't know where the hell they came up with. There's art in it, pretty much everything, you know, and the work that they put into it. So it's people's blood, sweat, tears, and passion that they put into these things. So, you know, it, it it's really difficult for me to, to poo-poo anything unless it's, unless it's beyond <laughs> saving. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of my friends say that I just like everything because my attitude is if I don't like a movie or a TV show – I mean, unless it really dropped the ball, then I blame myself. I'm like, ah, I need to rewatch it. I must have missed what's good about it, or I need to understand what's good about it. And they're always like, maybe it's just not good. And I'm like, yeah, but there are no bad movies. They're only bad audiences. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and then if, if after trying harder, it still doesn't click with me, then my decision is, oh, well, this is not for me. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's and, me and too. It's not my cup of tea. Oh, that's the, that's the bucket. That's I put a good way in. to look at. Yeah. So it's then I just kind of kinda shrug it off and, but there are, I mean, don't get me wrong. There have been movies where I'm like, wow, I hate this. What a piece of crap this is. Yeah. There yeah. are movies like that, but there are few and far between. And only my Freddy's nightmares podcast, uh, co-host David Neuer knows all of them and reminds me of them whenever <laughs> he wants to annoy me. He's like, remember when we saw that movie? And I'm like, dude, shut up. <laughs> all right. I don't, I only hate like four movies a decade and I don't need to be reminded of them all the time. I forget about them. <laughs> so. Wow. Well, Henrik, I'm at a point in the podcast today where I want to kind of give you the floor and I want to, I want you to tell everyone where we can find your stuff, uh, where they can find you talk about your other podcasts. Definitely talk about weekly spooky. As a matter of fact, sure. let's talk about that a little more. We'll Please, extend yeah. this pod podcast a little longer than normal because I really want to get the word out about Weekly Spooky because personally for me, Henrik's done a great job narrating my short story. So that's something I definitely want to see grow and flourish um, uh, along with all of his other stuff. So I'm not, you know, putting down anything else, but Weekly Spooky holds a special place for me for sure. So I'd like for Henrik to talk about that a little more and where we can find Weekly Spooky and kind of what goes into putting that together. Absolutely. Well, Weekly Spooky was, I mean, still is a labor of love for two and a half years of doing that show out of the three and almost three and yeah. a half years it's been on. I lost money every single month paying the hosting and creating the artwork, the microphones, you know, all of it. But I loved it because right. I love short fiction. And there was a time period. I'm sure you are very, you remember very much because you've always been a reader that short fiction had a home. There mm -hmm. were newspapers, magazines, you know, periodicals that, that would publish short stories. So, you know, and yeah, there were gatekeeping and stuff like that, which I hate, but at least you could read a short story. You know, you could, you could read something that was like 2000 words, 3000 words. Right. Without it being a short story collection. That's kind of the thing. I mean, you know, like yeah. the only way you can sell short stories really and get people to read them is to package them all together as one big book. Right. So my thought was I want... 
to publish a short story every month, every week. And it'll be like tales from the crypt every single week. It'll be a new story. And every now and then we will do one. That's like four parts or whatever, but usually they're self-contained and I'll find authors who are excited about the concept and my real goal, which I'm so proud we succeeded at was to create a platform where these stories would have an audience where we know for a fact, a thousand, 2000 people are going to hear your story and are going to, you know, I mean, that's cause that's such a boon for a short story oh, to yeah. have a listenership or readership, whatever you want to call it. So that was kind of the, the beginning that night. I just love audiobooks. I love listening to spoken word. I love talking obviously. So that's how it was born. It was born from that. And, and also from Dan Wilder, my producer on weekly spooky, he's a writer. He writes prose as well as screenplays and things like that. And he was like, Hey, a friend of mine uh, named Joe Salmo has a website called Pend in blood. And that's where we actually, it all started was we had a deal with, with Joe that we could use any stories from pendandblood.com on weekly spooky. So that gave us access to like, I don't know, 40 stories off the bat. So we had tons of stories to start with. So then we would start fishing for new ones and, and finding the authors and, and, and bringing people on. And I mean, you're one of the people that, that we talk to, we have a Facebook group just for the people who write on weekly spooky. And every now and then I'll post, it, I'm like, yeah, vampire story. Be cool. Anybody want to write a vampire story? And usually somebody will be like, I do. And then we'll be like, okay, uh, write a vampire story, please. And then in two weeks, I have a vampire story. So, and it's honestly, I can't believe that in almost, we're at like 184 episodes wow. of the show. And I can't believe that I've never not had a story to read on for Wednesday. We've come close. There have been a couple of times where literally I had no story to read and the story arrived Tuesday morning and I recorded <laughs> it and then it published the next day. We've cut it that close a few times oh, and wow. it was nerve wracking, but we've always been able to have a, you know, a story come out. So that's the thing I'm most proud of is that a lot of writers, a lot of people have told me that like Rob Fields is a really good example. Rob writes, he's one of the most prolific writers on weekly spooky. He's, I, I have like nine stories from Rob that aren't even published yet. He just cranks them out, man. And Rob I asked him if he wanted to write for Weekly Spooky because I remembered back when I first met him, he had written a small book, like a small novel. Mm -hmm. And I wrote him, I was like, hey, do you write anymore? And he was like, not really. And I was like, well, would you like to write for Weekly Spooky? He was already a listener. And he was like, sure, I could try if you think I'd be good at it. So I let him and he was. And now he's, this is the most prolific period of writing in his life. Well, spoiler alert, uh, he's part of the Kuto click. He's going to be on an episode of Horror 421, the podcast, just Good. so you know. That's great. Good. <laughs> Rob's, a, Rob's a great dude, and Rob is an odd dude, so he's very fun to talk to. Well, I'm looking forward to it because I, I do enjoy his uh, stories on Weekly Spooky. Uh, you know, he, he's the king of Streakfield, so... Um, Did you have you listened to this week's yet? It's the, the first... Yet. It's It's the first Weekly Spooky novella. It's uh, it's like an hour and 40 minutes. Oh, I'll it's, check it out. Nice. Every now and then I've, I, I'm like expanding to try like a longer story here and a longer story. Yeah, there. I've shared it, but I haven't listened to it yet. I'm, oh, sure. Uh, well, that's probably, a long story. Yeah. Well, I'll listen to it probably tomorrow while I'm working. I work from home and I have my headset on, so that'll be a great opportunity to listen to it. But I love Rob's work. Uh, I think he's a great writer. Yeah. And, and, and I, and Rob and I are very collaborative. He'll write me and be like, I was thinking about a story with X, Y, and Z in it. What do you think? 
And usually I love it. Sometimes I have a few notes. Um, he also does the weekly spooky mini series we do where we do mm-hmm. four parts. And those were a little bit more involved. Like we, we collaborate a lot more on those. Cause I, I want like very specific things right, um, right. in the beat structure, you know, cause it's like, well, you're, you're, you're having a whole month of the series is of the show is just you. So I need it to be pretty strong. You know, I needed to yeah. hit these notes. So it's, it's, it's a really cool experience. And if anybody wants to listen to weekly spooky, all they have to do is go to weekly spooky.com. Or just search Weekly Spooky on your favorite podcasting app, which you're probably on right now. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, the other place you can find Henrik is at henflix.com. And what's the other website? Incrediblyhandsome.com. That's it. Incrediblyhandsome.com. My official website. No one's surprised. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Well, I'm going to put all the links down below so you guys can can find Henrik's work. I do want to bring up one more thing, only if Henrik, uh, if you want to. But I do want to put it out there. Uh, Henrik is a, you know, I consider him a great friend at this point. And I, w- I do want to bring up that he, he has a, a, a kid in effect. Uh, his name is Chicano. And uh, he is Henrik's pooch. And uh, his pooch is going through a battle right now. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to drum up some support for Henrik. Uh, and uh, his, his dog has, has had cancer. And he's going through chemo treatments right now. So, you know, if anyone wants to contribute to the cause, the, the medical bills for Chicano have been astronomical and a lot of people have shown their support and uh, we, we thank them. But, uh, Henrik, if you want to talk about that or where sure. they can, you know, chip in to, to help with those bills, uh, I'm more than happy for you to do that on this podcast. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, my dog Chicano, he's a sweet, sweet rescue dog. He's about 11 years old, cancer. Um, he's actually... We can't say he's in remission, but he's pretty much in remission. Um, He has one more chemotherapy treatment. So chemo's gone really well for him. Awesome. Um, But yeah, all in all, it's been over $8,500 in veterinary bills. It's Mm. a lot of money. Oh, yeah. But thanks to all of the kind people who support my work and our friends and our fans and the people that love Weekly Spooky, we've raised over, we've raised just over. See, you brought up a dog and now your dog is like, I want to get in on this action. I want some oh, of this yeah. cash money. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but we've raised over $4,000 so far. So we've raised almost half of it. And if you want to help, you just go to helpchicano.com. That's H-E-L-P-C-H-I-A-N-O. C-H-I-C-A-N-O. Helpchicano.com. Anything helps. Uh, he's going to get his treatment no matter what because I'm putting it all on credit cards. All you're really doing is alleviating my burden so that I can focus on just hanging out with my boy. And I can't tell you what it means to me uh, to have half, nearly half the bills just taken care of. It's really, uh, it's moved me a lot. And that was after last year where I had to spend $3,000 on surgeries for him. Uh, so it's been, it's been a wild ride. And uh, I appreciate you uh, bringing it up and wanting me to, to, to mention it because I do appreciate any help I can get. All right. Well, well, Henry, we love you, and uh, we're we're you know want to show everyone support. Uh, so we we appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you, my man. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you can find me, Charles Campbell, author. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can find Horror Four Twenty One, the podcast, on Facebook. I do have a new podcast launching in April called Backstage Four Twenty One. It's musicians only. And uh, you can find my books at valleyboypublications.com. And that will do it for this week's episode of Horror 421, the podcast. We'll have Henrik back a time or two. He may help me guest host a couple episodes this season. Uh, Always happy to. 
Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, you guys have a, you have, you guys have a great night have a great rest of your week and uh, stay tuned for the next episode. We hope you had a horrific time, lovelies. Thank you for tuning in to Horror 421, the podcast. Be sure to like us on YouTube and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.